Good morning. Before you regret having us talk about aliens for the next two hours, I do have a quick announcement. That is, uh, we are accepting Wise Council nominations. If you are interested or preferably considered someone for our Wise Council here at Elementary Church, there are little slips of paper as you leave. Take one, put it in our offering pyramid, and that is our administrative announcement. Now it's time for the ET finger touch. Oh, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Am I coming through on this? No. Yes. Barely. Anyways, I'm Pastor Mike. This is Pastor Scott. And this is week two of our series, Why, where we're diving into your E3 submitted questions on spirituality and Christianity. Now, blanket disclaimer. <laughs> we'll be engaging these questions with humility often presenting multiple possible answers, like today where there will be two of us kind of dialoguing about something. And that's because you all did your job. Um, your questions were interesting, <laughs> often challenging, complex, yes, um, and often none of them have a perfect, certain, or simple answer. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to provide you guys with a buffet of possibilities for many of these questions. And that is especially true for the question this week, because we are talking about aliens. <laughs> Which, by the way, if you're like, what a strange topic, you submitted them. This is not our fault. But what we're actually talking about today is a little bit more complex than just aliens. It's what the biblical story has to say about intelligent life beyond humanity. Does it exist? Does the Bible talk about it at all? And if it does exist, are they included in God's story, Christ's love? And that's what we're going to be diving into this morning. And to prime our minds for this absolutely bonkers topic, thank you, E3, we brought two facts each about these vast cosmos absolutely. to get us in the right headspace about this strange universe in which we live. And do you want to go first? Sure. So any guesses on the number of stars that we can know in our universe right now. <laughs> you're, you're close, but a little low. Thank you. We have 200 billion trillion stars, which is more than all the grains of sand on the beach, which I think is kind of biblical because Abraham's promise was you have descendants <laughs> as grains of sand on the beach and stars in the sky. That's a lot of stars. Blows my mind. Yeah. And I, my first one's related to that, actually. Uh, there are billions of other galaxies in our universe, and all that we can see with our naked eye is between three and seven. So every star you have ever seen in your entire life is three to seven of billions of galaxies. What? Of stars. See that? Okay. I'm, gonna yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to wrap myself around that. Okay. So there's all these energies out there. There's thermal energy. There's nuclear energy. There's all these energies in the world and in the galaxy. And we, we have a lot of them running right now in the room, actually. Uh, there's one that scientists do not even understand, and they call it dark energy, which just boggles my mind. Just Google dark energy and just be totally like, I don't understand anything about life because there's this dark matter out there and we don't understand it so much that I bring it up because science does not understand all of creation and how big it really is. Dark energy is so mysterious. You just got to Google it, friends. It is a weird fact to Google after the sermon. Big shrug. 
So this is another one with physics. Uh, when a massive star explodes, its core forms a neutron star. Uh, they spin up to 600 times per second, if you want to get an image of a star going that fast. Oh, and also uh, they collapse into a dead core that is so dense that one teaspoon of its material would weigh more than Mount Everest. And this is the universe in which y'all live. Are your guys' minds properly blown? Give me one more. One more? Yeah. The first black hole ever photographed is three million times the size of Earth. Yeah. And there's one at the center of every galaxy, and we don't know why. Okay. Do you want such fingers again? Yes, no. Now, let's keep going. Okay. So we got our minds properly blown. We want to get in the headspace of this vast cosmos in which we live, and we want to get into it. And actually, what I want to begin with is strangely the nature of the Bible itself. And you're like, that seems off topic, but bear with me. See, as a collection of books written over thousands of years, the Bible tells the specific story of God's rescue for creation, starting with a specific nation. Who knows which one that is? America. We've done a terrible job. (laughs) The nation of Israel. Old Testament, Old Testament. Okay. Nation of Israel, which then culminates in the person of Jesus Christ, where it becomes kind of global in that sense. And because of that, the Bible is very diverse in both its historical and cultural backgrounds, but also its genres. It has poetry, it has histories, it has everything in between. And each part has its own context and purpose as part of this larger, kind of specific at times, story, which should impact how we understand it. Now, again, you're like, what does that have to do with aliens? But it has a lot to do with aliens because it's critically important for engaging a topic like this. That's because, one, though the Bible should inform how we think about every part of our lives and our universe, you have to understand that it does not speak in detail about every topic or every part of our lives and our universe. Some topics simply fall outside of what the biblical story is trying to tell us. Mm-hmm. And we are left to wrestle with how its major themes may help us understand these things in our lives. And then two, the Bible isn't always what we want it to be as modern 21st century people. Mm -hmm. The Bible is not a modern history full of dates and exact things like we record history. And it's certainly not a science textbook. And y'all, it's not trying to be. Questions like when did cosmic expansion begin aren't in the purview of what the Bible is trying to address. Mm. The original authors and audience weren't even asking such questions. And y'all, that's okay. It's kind of culturally arrogant to take our culture and expect the Bible to answer the questions that we want it to, instead of meeting it where it's at. You see, the Bible is concerned with bigger questions about ourselves, God, our universe, Instead of answering scientific questions of when or how, it speaks to spiritual truths concerning questions like who, what, why. Who is the creator God behind all things? What were God's intentions in creating this in the first place? Why do we exist? These are the questions the Bible is concerned with. And that's critical. Again, that's critical for a topic like this. We need to keep that in mind for guiding our questions about something like aliens, which the Bible does not speak to in detail. Spoiler alert. 
We need to let it determine which text we engage, not pulling them out of context and asking questions of them that they aren't trying to answer. And we need to let that guide how we engage the text. Now, there aren't that many texts that address the greater physical cosmos beyond Earth. Right, Pastor Scott? Can you right. confirm that? Okay, yep. you've been to seminary. Yep. But the one that does the most explicitly would be Genesis 1 and 2, right? Absolutely. These poetic creation accounts that detail how God created everything and us. So, Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, I'm tempted just to sit down and let you just take the rest of the sermon because you're, you're on a roll. Um, that's a compliment. It's really good. Uh, but because that is, that's the Bible's intention is how, how can I be saved? That's the whole purpose of the book. Uh, but the first chapter is one that people get kind of hung up on because it has seven days and the order of creation, we sometimes forget the order of how things and when things happened. So just for example, on day one, what's created? Let there be, good job, church. See, they know this. They, they did it. What day is the sun and the moon created? Not on one. I hear some different ones. Day four. Day four is the sun and the moon. So you say, well, I thought light was created on day one. And if, when the sun is light and that's on day four, how does that work? Well, there's a lot of different theories out there of how this all works. And a lot of them are poetic. And some of them even would say that the days of the week are describing the ancient temple, for example. There's hundreds of ways to parcel out this book. But the purpose of the book is to show the vastness of creation and that God creates all things, right? It doesn't say that God creates things and then all of a sudden a monkey comes in and makes humans. No. Thanks for laughing. <laughs> it, it doesn't say that, hey, on day 17, all of a sudden the, the Azurites come in and they create the Amorites and all the... No, it says God creates all all things, and it happens in a structure and with order and with precision, but they didn't care about how many galaxies there are. They didn't care in the ancient text about all the different things that we're made up of. I mean, we're on the macular the scale, but if we go on the micro, just they, don't, they didn't care about all the details of every little tiny thing. They wanted the understanding of who and why again. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's, it's kind of hard for us to get that sometimes because like yeah. when, it, when the Bible's Genesis says... God created the heavens and the earth. You're an ancient person. What does the heavens mean? Look up. What does the earth mean? Look down. So what did God create? Look up, look down. You got it, right? And we apply, we, we have the pale blue dot. You know, in the 60s, we sent a camera up out of our orbit and it looked back in the first, first time in human history, we saw our planet from outside of it, which is already trippy. But that's what, in the last 60 years? The ancient people aren't thinking about that pale blue dot floating in space. So it's just critical to keep that in mind of it's trying to address something far different than what our renaissance and modern kind of mindset is going to ask. It's trying to think about what is this world? Who created it? Who are we within it? Yeah. And then how did it go wrong in a sense? Because when we look out at the world compared to Genesis 1 and 2, it's, it's broken. It's not the ideal that we read about at the beginning of the Bible. And it's trying to set up that part of the story, like you said, so we can talk about what God's going to do about that. Absolutely. Less than it's talking about thermonuclear dynamics, which is a shame because that's the questions I think are interesting. But Genesis didn't ask my opinion. So <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of the story we have to keep in mind, right? Fair enough. Creation, fall, redemption. Yes. So uh, either way, as we kind of think about this, how does the story of creation, fall, redemption that begins in Genesis impact how we think about the existence of intelligent life outside of ourselves. Hmm. 
Well, there's two ways. There's two ways. I mean, one is, what if we are the only intelligent beings, and some of you are questioning, are we the intelligent at all after the <laughs> sermon? But the, the point of this is, if we're the only intelligent beings, and truly we are God's pinnacle of creation, and the more vastness we find out about creation, how much more spectacular does a creator have to be? I mean, there's all sorts of theories that if we were a mile closer to the sun or a mile further away from the sun, we are positioned just at the right place, spinning at just the right speed, have this moon going the right orbit where life can begin even in, at all. The, the delicacy of life is remarkable. And most of us in this room understand how delicate life can be. But for us to be the pinnacle of God's creation, and while not the center of it, there's this giant black hole that I'm going to not have nightmares about now, <laughs> that we, we, can, we can marvel at the creator and what God has done to create everything. Yeah, and his love for us, like the intimate focus on Absolutely. us as human beings. But what if there are aliens? <laughs> well, mathematically, that's a likelihood. Um, spoiler alert, count all those stars, count all the possible distances. I mean, there's just a mathematical probability at some point that there is a consciousness, a life that is aware outside of ourselves. Whether that's true or not, here's the important humility part. I don't know, y'all. Okay, let's start there. I don't know. But I think this is also like what geeks me out about the biblical story because no matter what, when read correctly, when you engage the Bible in this kind of who, why, what mindset, um, the, the story is the same. Right. No matter which route you say, there is life, there isn't. The story is the same. God is working in and through them wherever they are. And I think this is just one of those critical misunderstandings we often have about the biblical story. You know, mm -hmm. we get really tied up in the personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus and I, that's what our faith is about. And do not hear what I am not saying. That is important. Right. God came down so we can be in relationship with him. But that's not the whole story. Right. From the very beginning of Genesis, God created everything. Everything broke. The Bible has been about God redeeming and renewing the whole of the cosmos. It's not just about me and Jesus. It's about God and his creation, the vastness that you're talking about. Colossians 1.20, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross, through him, whether the things on the earth or things in the heavens. Yeah. Yeah, the absolutely. Bible backs you up. Or like Romans 8, right? Yep, yep, uh, yep. All of creation is groaning for new creation. And mm -hmm. that's what God is revealing through the first fruits, which are the people of God, which is a whole other... I'm going off topic. That's another cool part about we it. We knew this would happen. Let's just, I know. You know keep going. Stay keep focused. Going. Stay focused. Stay focused. But what I love about this is that no matter what, be it the only, this is the only universe or there's every multiverse you can imagine, right. everything in between these theories. What the biblical story is about is that all things from the farthest star whose light literally has taken billions of years to reach our eyes mm. to the earthworm, to me, all things in between are caught up and wrapped up in a story of a God who is bringing about new creation and the redemption, the renewal, and the healing of all things and all that's gone wrong. I mean, there is a creator and a weaver over the web of reality who has promised us that he can and will set all things right. That is what the biblical story is about. And we know here that that redemption comes through Christ. But that's also an important part of this. Is like, this is where I, again, this is where I start to geek out. Because we have to remember that Christ is a title and not a name. Jesus is the man's name. Yeshua, Yahweh saves. 
Christ is the title tacked onto it. It's not the, a last name. It's not a last name. Yeah. The Christ is the Messiah. The Christ is the one who Isaiah talks about as being the one who brings peace to all of the cosmos. The Christ is that part of the Trinity who is in all things and through all things and in whom we have our being who is working to make things new. The universal Christ, the cosmic Christ. He is the one, this part of the Trinity, whose love is radiating and saturating all things, which again includes me. It is about me and Jesus, but it's also about him in the farthest star that is wrapped up in a story of a God. And y'all, I know I say this way too much, so don't roll your eyes. A God who will not let evil and brokenness get the last word on his good world and his good creation. Amen. And that's way bigger than me. And that's exciting, right? That I'm a part of a bigger thing. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stare at you. No, I'm just, you're, you're, you're on a roll. In, in all honesty, in this, this Christ, who we see in, even in Genesis 1, God looks at God's self in the Genesis context, and he says, hey, look, let's create humans in our image, in the plural. And you just see that Jesus is there from the very beginning and will be there to the very end for all of creation. That means that when you go to the planet Narduk, and there's a global sign standing there looking at you. I'm making this up, you know. There's an, if there's an intelligent alien somewhere out there, they don't need Jesus to come and rescue them. Jesus has rescued all of creation by what Jesus did here as a carpenter's son. And that blows my mind that Jesus' sacrifice could be for every last star and every last planet and every last inch all of space and time, that that is so much more powerful than I sometimes give Jesus' cross credit for because I sometimes just think it's about me and my sins and my salvation, but it's about the entirety of the cosmos that Jesus has died and was resurrected for. Quick, related but unrelated side note, all these movies about multiverses, they're super fun, but they don't need different Jesuses in all the different multiverses either. I like Ninja Jesus. He's my favorite. Ninja Jesus, yes. <laughs> Jesus as a cat. Jesus as a dog. No, we don't need multiple Jesuses. There's one Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice emanates through all of space-time and any multiverse you get into. And by the way, multiverses are just a clever philosophical term. There's this whole thing called any given world, which is a whole other sermon. I'm going to get off topic. But multiverse is just a fun thing that Hollywood knows that they can make some money off of. So, And they absolutely know the science of it. Anyway. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, no, and, that, and that's the exciting part because, like, the first thing you want to ask when you hear something like that is, like, so do we have to evangelize the aliens, right? Right. And I think there's something fascinating um, about that question that <laughs> – just kind of like, I don't know. Let's start there. But I think what's really cool about what you're talking about is I actually go back to thinking of like Paul, and I think it's what, Acts 16? Acts 16 or 17? 17. I can't 17. remember. 17. Where Paul is speaking in Athens, and he's talking to these Greeks. And honestly, for Paul, the Greeks are as alien as it gets. It would be like running into E.T. in terms of their worldview differences and how they, right. how they fundamentally understand the divine. It's that different. And yet what we see in this talk is that Paul is engaging with their poets. He's talking in their language. He uses words that we never see appear in Paul's uh, writings ever again in Greek because he's meeting them where they're at. And what he fundamentally is getting at is like this story of God, the creator God who is in all and through all and working in all things, they have already come close and grabbed snips and 
pieces of who he is and what his story is about. Absolutely. And Paul affirms that. He's like, you have seen through reality itself how this God works, who he is. But what you, like the skeleton key is the Christ mm-hmm. and the Christ story. And he basically says, you have touched on the truth, but let me give you the story that brings it all together. You have already, no doubt, just by existing in this cosmos, understood this God of death and resurrection and new life. But the Christ story is the framework that holds it all together and gives it its ultimate body and its ultimate trajectory and its ultimate story. Absolutely. So when we talk about what happens when we meet life on distant planet, (laughs) the exciting part is, is that we can trust that that God's already there. He's already working in them. He's already made himself known in these general ways if they have studied this cosmos at all. And all we are doing is giving them that skeleton key. And saying, what we're talking about here is the Christ in the story about new creation. Absolutely. That brings it all together. And that's a whole different way of looking and thinking through evangelism. Do we need to go to other planets and evangelize? Well, if we have the skeleton key, isn't it ours to share with everyone and anything and everything that's in God's creation? I think it's just a, a marvelous uh, just thought to, yeah. to challenge us by whether or not there's life out there. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, even the good news of that is it's actually kind of, it's like it's simple, but not easy, because the other cool part of that is what we know from Jesus and what he taught is that all things are being brought into this term of neighbor, of union, of oneness, right? And what are we supposed to do as God's people? Love God, and love who? Love neighbor. So whatever conscious being out there, the moment we come in contact with them, the answer is that's your neighbor. And what are you called to do? Yeah. Love them, like we love our God. So there's some good news there. It's actually not that complicated. Um, we don't know what they know and don't know who they are, or what they're like, and or the tentacles or whatever. But we do know what we're called to do with every conscious thing in every part of the cosmos that we encounter, and that is love, like we love our God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Should we, like, open it to the room and be like, what about E.T.? I don't know. What about, yeah. What's your favorite alien movie? Uh, oh, man. Now you put me on the spot. This wasn't scripted. E- I know. E.T. E.T. is pretty great. Yeah. I like Alien, but I'm a yeah. sociopath with a we, we history still have of to, violence. We still have to love uh, the Alien. <laughs> Share Jesus with Alien. So um, that's all we got. Uh, we are open for conversation after this. Of course, Absolutely. always come and reach out. This series is going to be very exciting. We're going to talk about some pretty intense topics, everything from hell to why do good people suffer, on and on it goes. So get ready. It's going to be exciting. Thank you for horrifying questions that I have and not answering. Um, but we're very excited for it. I know Scott is too. So with that, I'm going to invite up the band mm-hmm. and then I'm going to pray us out. Yeah, absolutely. And then we're going to worship together this God and this creator who is in all and through all and in whom we have our being. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father God, uh, we thank you for today. We thank you for breath. We thank you for the grace of existence. We thank you for the reminder that none of us chose to be alive today or to exist today. And thus that all things have been given as a gift that we can't earn, we can't deserve. All we can do is say thank you for. God, help us be your image bearers in how we love and how we are curious and how we explore the depths of who you are by exploring the depths of this vast universe that you have given us. God, Got nothing else to say, but thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.